Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar series, Caring for Individuals with Alzheimer's Disease and Related Dementias. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live in the fall of 2015. This webinar series is presented by the Lewin Group in collaboration with Community Catalyst and the American Geriatric Society and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to ensuring beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care to Medicare Medicaid enrollees, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts, please visit resourcesforintegratedcare.com. In this podcast, Dr. Rob Schreiber, Medical Director of Evidence-Based Programs at Hebrew Senior Life at Harvard Medical School, will explore the process of preparing the patient and caregivers following the diagnosis of Alzheimer's and related dementias. Thank you very much, and I'm delighted to be here. I think this is a, a great opportunity to have a conversation and advance knowledge in terms of the uh, uh, treatment um, and help that uh, individuals and their families uh, need given this uh, significant uh, medical uh, illness. Um, today, I- I'm a geriatrician and I'm going to give you um, sort of the view that I use and a lot of my colleagues use working in patient-centered medical homes and we are part of an accountable care organization, but I think the commonality that you're going to hear is that this is really a team approach and that you need to build your team and the team needs to be rich. Um, I'm going to review uh, today sort of uh, a process and approach that I take, which first starts with confirming the diagnosis, identifying the stage of the disease, Um, goals and values of the individual and families and how that gets incorporated into the care processes. Uh, Education is going to be a recurrent theme, but, you know, from my perspective on the front end as the medical provider, how I build that into not only the assessment but the actual ongoing care. We are going to cover medication use and the uh, need for ongoing support and hopefully give you a... um, step-by-step approach so that this will be, you know, something that could be utilized uh, starting immediately. Next slide, please. So the first aspect of um, treating an individual and the family um, in terms of dealing with Alzheimer's disease is, one, the importance of confirming the diagnosis. Oftentimes, the diagnosis is not specifically spelled out or clearly understood. And as you all probably know, it's almost impossible to be definitive of the diagnosis of Alzheimer's, but oftentimes there are, the, the diagnosis of dementia is very clear. And what we find is sometimes families are stuck on a word and not seeing the bigger picture of what the actual disease process is. Oftentimes there can be overlap with other types of Uh, dementias, and I'm not going to get into that today. I know that was brought up previously, but I think the importance is to ensure that people 
understand that they're, what the disease is that they're there for because oftentimes they are not clear or they may not understand what it actually is. So then the second piece of uh, confirming the diagnosis is really understanding what does that mean to the individual and family. Where are they in terms of their knowledge? Oftentimes they will get knowledge second and third hand. They'll have read things, but they, you know, really what does, what does this mean to them and where are they in the understanding of this? Um, which gets to the third point is do they understand what it means? And in my experience, Oftentimes that's not the case. People do not really understand what the diagnosis is and what this means, even though they may have the diagnosis. So, um, and we'll talk about the different stages, but I have people who oftentimes have advanced or moderately advanced dementia that really don't understand what their diagnosis is. And then lastly, the importance of education about dementia. Have they had um, any uh, education or understanding not only of the disease process, but you know the ongoing course. And again, in my experience, it's uh, amazing to me how little knowledge patients and/or their families or caregivers actually have. Next slide, please. So I just want to quickly go through the stages of Alzheimer's disease because it is really important as a clinician to understand where people are. And as we all know, there is a progression um, and oftentimes um, people will go at this progression in a whole different uh, time period. And so there really is no definitive um, rate. One individual is very unique. Each phase usually is anywhere from you know, approximately three years, but it can vary. So in the first early stage, oftentimes we have individuals presenting with antigrade amnesia with rapid rate of forgetting, so they're not able to really remember things moving forward. They oftentimes have difficulty in executive function and impaired judgment or problem solving, so things that they were able to do, complex tasks, different types of accounting, or even parts of their profession, they're not no longer able to do. Oftentimes there will be intrusion areas and anomia um, in terms of not being able to name things or just as they're doing things, different thoughts will intrude into their thinking and oftentimes disrupt their um, concentration and focus so that they get frustrated. They oftentimes will have visual spatial difficulties and these include people's ability to really um, function in space, such as feeling unsafe when driving, having trouble navigating new routes, forgetting where they place things, or having difficulty parking a car. And then mood disorders oftentimes are seen where people are anxious, irritable, just not themselves. So the middle stage, you know, is where we see progressive memory loss. We also see fluent aphasia and uh, specifically um, uh, with circumlocutions, including semantic paraphrases and impaired comprehension. Circum circumlocutions include the use of many words where fewer would, would do, especially in a deliberate attempt to be vague or evasive. Um, semantic paraphrases include confusion of words or the replacement of one word by another real world word, but it's not appropriate. 
We also see people having difficulty with apraxia or the inability to perform particular purpose, purpose, uh, purposeful actions. Um, and then agnosia, such as the loss of ability to recognize objects or faces or voices or places. People can still think and interact and carry on a normal conversation, but they have difficulty with those, those uh, recognition factors. Next slide, please. And then we have the last phase or the late stage of Alzheimer's disease where we see severe memory compromise. And this is a picture of August Dieter, who was the first patient that was described as having Alzheimer's disease by Dr. Alois Alzheimer. Um, and she was 51 years of age at the time she was diagnosed with having a dementia and she was experiencing significant disorientation and hallucinations. So we see as a result of this people having severe functional impairment and loss of their activities of daily living. Their speech is limited and they have echolalia, which is oftentimes they will echo um, another's words, even though it's not, you know, appropriate. They just, they're an echo chamber. They can have bradykinesia, which is very, very slow movement, or they become rigid, and they have difficulty with their gait. Their gait is um, um, oftentimes impaired. They're not able to move. They seem to be very apprehensive. And lastly, you will oftentimes see behavioral disturbances, which we'll go into at the end. Next slide, please. So now that we've sort of confirmed the diagnosis, we sort of know where people are in terms of the stage, it's really important to understand what are the goals of treatment. And in order to understand the goals of treatment, what matters most to the individual and family has to be addressed. So understanding people's values, um, the individual in particular, what has been important to them, what is important to them, uh, and also understanding the caregiver and family is another important aspect. So we have to focus on those issues and through that we can understand what we can do to help improve their quality of life and function. Education plays a big part in this um, in terms of what they can do. Um, and also, how do we maintain and possibly improve cognition as well as what are the things that need to be done to manage comorbidities so that the disease will not progress. Comorbidities can cause progression of um, Alzheimer's disease and so the better we do in managing them, the better the outcome will be. The importance of understanding behaviors um, we'll talk about again, but those, those are important. And then also, how do we work with the interdisciplinary team? Next slide, please. There's going to be a lot of discussion about the education of family and caregiver by my uh, co-presenters, but um, just even from my perspective, up on the in, the in the beginning of the clinician's view, oftentimes there's a total lack of education and knowledge um, for the family and caregiver, and that's critically important to have the best possible outcomes. Um, oftentimes, there's not a standardized approach. Who's going to actually, you know, present the information? What's going to be covered? Um, and so that's really important to develop an approach that every family, every caregiver actually gets education and knowledge of what is their role and what they need to do. Not only in terms of how to help the individual, but what are the things that will be occurring as the disease progresses. In, in 
In fact, as a primary care physician, uh, it's really important to work collaborative, collaboratively with an interdisciplinary team that has this expertise. So if you have a practice with a, that has a social worker, which a lot of us don't, but has nursing, it's important that they become expert or you know, better at, um, at dealing with the, not only the family, but the individuals. And in particular, there are um, social workers at the Alzheimer's Association who I work particularly closely with and all the doctors in this practice do so that we can refer families and caregivers so that they're going through a standardized approach and they actually have a standardized format so they deal with not only um, how the family is dealing with this, the financial uh, situations, they talk about advanced directives, potential need for alternative housing, different types of programs, but they go through a standardized format. And then the importance of hooking family and caregivers into ongo ongoing support networks. Next slide, please. So I'm going to talk about two types of medication um, that particularly exist, and these really are the medications to help with um, the management of Alzheimer's disease in terms of functional decline. Uh, we'll talk more about that, but there are two classes, the acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, including donepezil, galantamine, and rivastigmine, and then the glutamate pathway modifiers, which really includes one drug called memantine hydrochloride. Next slide, please. So the um, medication in terms of uh, this particular one, the, uh, can we go back? Can we go back one, one more? There we go. All right, so the first class of drugs are the acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. Um, and these are, in fact, the drugs that are oftentimes used in the beginning um, and moderate stages of Alzheimer's disease, but oftentimes will be continued in late stages depending on how individuals uh, do. This is a very busy schematic, but the goal of these drugs are to slow the breakdown of a chemical in the brain, which is very important to memory and learning, called acetylcholine. And so these inhibit the breakdown by actually helping prevent the degradation of it, which allows for increased acetylcholine in the neurologic synapses, which allows, hopefully, maintenance of uh, learning and ability to function. Next slide. For people who have moderate um, disease, um, memantine is oftentimes either given individually as a single agent or can be combined with the acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. And the way this drug works um, is it helps regulate the abnormal activity of glutamate, which is another chemical in the brain that is important for learning and memory. And specifically, it binds to specific receptors called NMDA receptors and allows for glutamine, which oftentimes um, is excitatory and can actually cause, too much of it can cause problems with memory to actually 
sort of be toned down and allow for glutamate to work normally across the synapse. And through this mechanism, again, it helps people improve their ability to function. Next slide, please. The issue, however, with medication impact is that there is no evidence that medication slows the underlying disease process in patients with Alzheimer's disease. There is some evidence that one-third of patients see some benefit with functional improvement and or behavior changes, but in terms of the actual disease, these medicines do not uh, prevent progression or slow it down. They just allow individuals, if they do have impact to improve their functional ability and and or behaviors. So that's an important thing. So we don't really have a lot of medical options, which makes the other forms of treatment, which we'll be talking about, important, more important at this point. Next slide, please. So specifically, it's important for a primary care provider or for family members or caregivers to help emphasize those things that will promote healthy behaviors. We talked about the control of chronic diseases are very important. If somebody gets ill, it's going to impact their cog cognitive abilities and functional abilities. Keeping people physically active is very important. People who are physically active are much healthier, happier, and this particularly applies to patients with Alzheimer's disease. Proper nutrition is critically important. Mental stimulation, getting people to do new things um, that they normally don't do, simple things such as dancing or singing, things that will get them to use their brains in different ways are very important. The importance of keeping people's mood um, in a good place and treating those mood disorders are really important. And if you do the above, oftentimes people's moods um, will normally be excellent. So uh, by just taking this holistic approach, um, we can improve mood. It's also important to understand what that individual's values and goals are so that they have a sense of purpose, that they actually are making a difference and that they have a purpose in life. And so we focus on how can we give purpose and meaning to individuals' lives. The importance of socialization cannot be, um, you know, um, uh, uh, it needs to be emphasized as well, and it's probably the most important thing, is getting people in a social environment and keeping them connected with those things that are most important to them um, will make a difference. And then also sleep hygiene, having good sleep hygiene. Um, making sure that they're getting adequate rest, and there oftentimes are sleep disorders that occur with Alzheimer's disease, but it's important to deal with them. Next, please. So the caregiver's role is the next thing um, that I really want to focus on, and we're going to be hearing so much more about this, but just as the uh, geriatrician helping uh, families and individuals. We know that dementia caregiving is associated with high emotional strain, poor physical health outcomes, and increased mortality. So it's really important that primary care providers should routinely identify Medicare beneficiaries who are family caregivers as part of their health risk assessment in Medicare's annual wellness visit. You can track the beneficiary's health status and potential risk for caregiving, 
including physical strain, emotional stress, and depression. And it's important to monitor their health status with visits involving the one they're caring for. So I always check in, do a visual check, and also ask how they're doing. Um, and if they give a hesitation, oftentimes I will try to talk to them offline. Next slide, please. It's important for a primary care physician also to collaborate with community-based organizations. In particular, um, they have important roles. I have given you a number here, the long-term service and supports provided by area agencies on aging, which help individuals stay in their home, the National Association on, of Agencies on Aging. The phone number is 202-872-0888. Um, and there's a website. They provide home supervision, adult daycare, meals on wheels, transportation, care management and monitoring. They also support the caregiver and can give environmental supports. There's something called money that follows the person so that even if people are not Medicaid or um, on state um, aid, oftentimes they can get support through these agencies. Next slide, please. Ongoing support of the patient and family is another factor that um, needs to happen. And so there are, we'll be hearing more about this, but I talked to family members about support groups. Um, there are educational programs that the Alzheimer's Association puts on, including um, in Massachusetts, something called coping with memory loss, um, as well, which is for individuals, as well as families, as well as a caregiver support series. There are evidence-based programs, uh, which we can maybe talk more about in the question and answer period, called Powerful Tools for Caregivers that actually help individuals manage, uh, you know, manage uh, their concerns. And then we have the 24-7 hour hotline from the Alzheimer's Association. Again, the number is there. And then the importance of the interdisciplinary team, the IDT team, counseling for alternative housing arrangements for people who are progressing that are trying to stay at home, but it's just not working out. What's the least restrictive environment and how do you work with that? And the last thing I should say is that it's also important to give legal and financial support. So we actually have attorneys that we refer people to to help them manage these types of issues. Next slide, please. In terms of ongoing management, it's important to have regular visits, so I schedule people to come back at least every three to four months. The social support by that interdisciplinary team that we stay connected as a unit with the individual. We focus on sleep issues. We talk about the caregiver check-in on an ongoing basis. Make certain that we identify goals of care and update them, as well as prevent adverse drug reactions. Oftentimes there's medicines that are added I, we oftentimes ask family members to let us know if a new drug is going to be started because over-the-counter medicines as well as other medications that may be used for allergies, anxiety, depression, urinary frequency can impact on an individual. We want to avoid hospitals and we want to make certain we get people seen urgently but try to avoid emergency departments because oftentimes they will end up in the hospital. Next slide, please. So I'm not going to go into the treatment of behaviors, but the point here is that there are a lot of behaviors. With dementia, you're going to see behaviors. It's not a matter of when, it's a matter of if. I mean, not a matter of if, it's when it occurs. And in early stages, we're going to see more irritability and anxiety and depression. But in later stages, we oftentimes will have agitation and aggression, as well as physical or verbal outbursts, 
restlessness and pacing, hallucinations and sleep disorders. We can do a lot of management without using medications. And it's important that if we know these are occurring, that we have strategies. And we, we will be discussing that further. So in summary, next slide, please. In the last slide, it's important the primary care physician, PCP, collaborate with an interdisciplinary team. We need to understand the individual's values and goals. The importance of education, healthy behaviors, and community supports are critical components to effective treatment. Medications will not change the disease trajectory, but they can help support function and behaviors. And again, behaviors need to be uh, expected to be occurring and plans for treatment need to be developed. And uh, lastly, the most important, caregiver support is essential. For more information about this webinar series and other resources, including videos and podcasts, please visit resourcesforintegratedcare.com and follow us on Twitter at integrate underscore care.